For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey, McCall. Hey, Kirsty. How are you? Not so bad. Not so bad. We made it through. Uh, Memorial Day was a little early this year, but it definitely brought back uh, the memories of what happened on Memorial Day of 2019, which you know all too well, and, and many people listening know that uh, it put, unfortunately, our region on the map, but not in a good way, with our first real major tornado outbreak in quite some time. Yeah, and I wasn't exactly sure how I was going to feel coming into the day. If you're a first-time listener or watcher, um, we had 15 tornadoes that touched down in just a matter of hours, just a little after 9 p.m. through shortly after midnight. And I was on air the whole time, and we had one EF4, three EF3s, and you know, cascading down from there. And um, I think it was traumatic for all of us, but certainly to be in the thick of things, it was quite emotional. Now, I've been covering the recovery for the past 12 months, and so I thought I was pretty prepared for Memorial Day, but I found when I woke up yesterday, uh, we're taping this the day after Memorial Day, that I just felt like an overwhelming sadness to just think back that it's been 12 months and there's still so many people, not only physically trying to rebuild, but emotionally. I mean, it was emotional for me, so I can only imagine what it was like to lose a home or even a family member because there were a couple of people that did. Yeah. I think too, also, um, I just felt anxious all day and I know most people, unfortunately now, and it brought an awareness to me. I mean, as a meteorologist, you know, we, we know days when we have severe weather expected and we're kind of, you know, ready to just be on the call. Um, but I think for a lot of people, it just changed how thunderstorms are viewed to them. And that anxiety, anytime you hear a crack of thunder, um, is now heightened and just to a whole nother level, especially for the people who lost their homes, the people that were directly in the paths of the 15 tornadoes. And so yesterday was the first day that I really almost felt kind of, I think, like what they feel of just like, wow, this day was so nice. And then it just turned horrible. Yeah. Um, and, and just we had storms throughout the weekend this year. Thankfully, they weren't severe of that level. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you do going into severe weather season. We talked about this before, McCall, that we, we kind of have to handle it in the way that we know people almost have a little bit of PTSD. So right. when we go under higher risk, slight risk, moderate risk, when we have severe thunderstorm warnings, and when we get tornado warnings again, unfortunately, it's, it's Miami Valley, we will have more tornadoes. Um, it comes with a different sense of responsibility and um, we, I just feel like every time now there's another day for severe weather, it's, a, it's an entire community now that has, well, multiple communities that has that, is it going to be, is it going to be Memorial Day? Just yeah. like, going to be the derecho of 2012. Is it going to be Xenia? Um, you know, now we have a whole new wave and a whole new generation of people that attach Memorial Day 2019 to thunderstorms, you know? Yeah. And yesterday, you know, Memorial Day is obviously about honoring the veterans that we've lost in their service. Um, and the sadness of those people, I don't, I haven't lost anybody, you know, due to something like that. 
but I certainly felt the sadness of, you know, the outbreak for the day. And it, it really just brought light to that. So many years I said, happy Memorial Day. And I just feel like it, it may not necessarily be appropriate to, right. to say happy Memorial Day. I hope you enjoyed the day because there's so many people suffering, whether it's, it's you know, from losing a veteran or now the Memorial Day outbreak. Yeah. But there is things to get excited about. Yeah. Um, and our guest today, I think, is going to bring a little bit of the joy back into the conversation as to looking forward. She's really been helping out our community leaps and bounds. And I had the opportunity to talk with her and do a TV story about the work that she's doing and unfortunately having to do it during a pandemic, but they are still working and doing a great job. So today's guest is Laura Mercer. She's the executive director of the Miami Valley Long-Term Recovery Operations Group. It's a very long name, but it's all important. Um, she has over 32 years experience in comprehensive planning, implementation, and management. She's held the PMI Project Management Professional Certification since 2001, so she knows what she's doing. Yeah. Um, her last project for Sinclair involved the development and launching of the college's new Centerville campus. She's been on loan from Sinclair since October 2019 to lead the region's individual and household tornado recovery efforts. So that's really what we're going to be diving into today. Um, she is a 2011 Leadership Dayton graduate and Wright State undergrad and George Washington University graduate degrees. So she's, she's a local girl and yeah. she's helping us to do a lot of local things and effort to help out with the tornado recovery. Hello, Laura. Welcome Hi, to Laura. our podcast. Hello, thank you. Good to see you guys. It's great yeah. to see you. We called to see you two together again because you yes. did on that television project. So if people maybe didn't see uh, Laura, you on WHIO, um, McCall, why don't you kind of, what, what did you two work on and talk about? So my story was about the tornado recovery effort one year later. Where are we and where are we headed? And um, I actually got in contact with Laura uh, through a gentleman, Matt Tepper, and he is the president of the Old North Dayton Neighborhood Association. He's doing great things there. And Old North Dayton, unfortunately, is one of the areas that doesn't have as much money and it's taking longer to rebuild. Right. And he got me in contact with Laura because she is helping to rebuild and helping a lot of people that were uninsured and underinsured. And honestly, the numbers when Laura like broke it down for me to the basics of like this many people requested help and this many people didn't have insurance on their house is mind blowing. And, there, and there's my daughter saying that she's the Easter Bunny. Um, but she's been helping out. She's the Easter Bunny. Um, but Laura is going to talk about how she is really helping out those people. And Laura, I don't want to take away all of your thunder. So why don't you talk about what the long-term recovery group is about and how you've been able to help out. And now with the pandemic, how it's kind of slowed things down. Right. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, well, the long-term recovery group kind of uh, came together slightly after the tornado. So there were a bunch of us that were working on the ground as um, essentially first responders uh, doing debris cleanup, dealing with uh, food and shelter issues. And I was uh, working in a college role then, uh, but I had done a lot of strategic planning and then also emergency response planning for the college. So I naturally stepped into that role. And um, while I was out, based out at Centerville, um, the day after the tornadoes, I moved back into my old chief of staff office, which was right next to the president's office, and I did not leave there and go back to Centerville. So um, 
I, I spent that time working with the college assets and working with college people to actually go out and um, do work in terms of first response. So that group, um, Dayton Foundation was very pivotal in pulling together uh, the leadership that was required to sustain a response. And so we started meeting at the Dayton Foundation offices and it was, uh, you know, Sinclair, it was uh, St. Vincent de Paul, it was uh, the American Red Cross, uh, government uh, and political leaders. Uh, so all sorts of people were coming together there to try to figure out what the next steps were. And we were very fortunate in this region to have um, the state director for disaster response for Lutheran Disaster Services, who actually lives here in town. Mm -hmm. And uh, his name is John Pyron. And John was able to shed a lot of light on how disaster response works uh, okay. because he's been all over the country and has done a whole bunch of disasters, everything from Joplin tornadoes to uh, Hurricane Katrina. So he knows what uh, the, the process looks like as you go from disaster response to the longer disaster recovery. Um, so he's been very instrumental in guiding us on that. So as that group continued to meet, um, we decided that we, we definitely given the volume of damage that we had, we were going to need to have a long-term response. And we knew because it hit some of our more vulnerable populations that uh, we were gonna have issues with recovery unless we were pretty aggressive with it. So that's how this started. Um, Dayton Foundation was great in terms of, you know, making a place for people to funnel uh, their, their want to help. Um, so we have assets in one place that we can deploy really strategically then. Um, St. Vincent's has been great because, um, you know, they've been great partners on the ground anyway because they work with a lot of these vulnerable populations to begin with. So they have, you know, tentacles into the communities yeah. and then they also had a warehouse uh, that's adjacent to the job center so that is actually our material supply warehouse and that's where we're amassing uh, construction materials I have a question real quick for you so you mentioned that you guys um, transitioned from response to recovery uh, what time I guess at what point was it you know the we've cleaned up the immediate debris or, you know what I mean? Like at what point does it switch over to, okay, now we are getting into long-term recovery and, and is that a recent transition or was that something that happened like six months ago? You know what I mean? When does it become, okay, this is going to be long term. So there's something called the rule of tens that is based on the number of days that emergency shelters are open. So for every 10 days, the emergency shelters are open. You multiply that by 10 and that gives you, you know, a hundred days. Um, and that's how long emergency response is. And that's the immediate needs in terms of cleanup, uh, shelter, food, uh, you know, medical care, that kind of stuff. Um, and then you multiply that by 10 again, and you get uh, what it takes for long-term recovery for individuals. So uh, the long-term recovery effort for individuals is somewhere between one and three years. Um, so we're, we're targeting two. Um, so, you know, we're a year, we're less than a year in, if you look at it from that timeline in terms of the long-term recovery. Um, but we, we think we're going to get a good handle on it. Um, in terms of what needs to be done and then be able to actually execute it, even with the pandemic. <laughs> so, um, you know, the other question you asked was related to the pandemic. And 
it has slowed us down. Um, so a lot of the work that's done in disaster recovery anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world is done at, with the hands of volunteers. Um, so a lot of times it's skilled rebuild teams or it's a combination of skilled teams with unskilled labor that wants to come in and help. Um, and that effort got delayed because some of the teams that were originally going to come in were delayed because of COVID. So our first couple of teams that were supposed to come in uh, were supposed to come in mid-April. Mid and uh, those teams were from actually the Pacific uh, Southwest, wow. so California area, and they obviously did not come. Yeah. So <laughs> my dogs are going to bark now. That's okay. <laughs> it's okay. My toddler is running around, right. so <laughs> it's fine. We got dogs and kids in our houses. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Laura, can you speak to the number of people that have actually reached out for yeah. help and the percentage, a roundabout percentage of how many people just didn't even have insurance? Because I, I think that it's mind blowing. Yeah, it is. And again, that's kind of a testament to the fact that it hit some of our most vulnerable populations in these under-resourced areas, you know, whether it's Old North Dayton or it's Harrison Township or parts of Trotwood. Um, these were folks that were, some of them were struggling anyway, uh, not all of them, but some of them were struggling anyway in terms of just being able to meet basic needs. And the housing stock, um, a lot of it had some deferred maintenance issues that made it more vulnerable to the storms. You know, if you've got a fairly new construction, you've got fairly good roof on it, you know, good windows in a house, you're not going to see the kind of storm damage that these folks experienced. So um, we run our intake uh, United Way has been a great partner as well. So United Way's 211 help link line, uh, we set them up with an intake form so that when somebody calls and they're um, a tornado survivor and they have a tornado survivor related need, they automatically fill out an intake form and that goes to our case management team. Our case management team is led by Catholic Social Services. So they've been fantastic partners as well. So we have about 840 calls uh, when we checked it last week that have come in through there. About half of those are renters. So, and the, wow. renter, the renters are easier to deal with for the most part because it was, if they had property damage, it was a matter of helping them find affordable housing and uh, getting them situated in there, maybe uh, helping them with the replacement of personal property, uh, those kinds of things. So it's usually shorter term. The homeowners are, are more challenging. So a lot of that involved repair and rebuild. So about half of those are repair and rebuild kinds of, of, of scenarios. So um, we think we've got, let's see here, my numbers. We're 840 cases, 354 of those cases are still active. Okay. So, um, with half of those being homeowners, um, we have uh, a bunch of them that have children. So about 43% of those have children uh, in the household, and about 27% of them are seniors. So wow. uh, we have some vulnerable populations in that as well in terms of uh, there's added risk when you have children or seniors in yeah. substandard housing. Um, so... As those come in, we do, uh, we have a construction management team that will go out and if, if the person is working with the case manager and they say that they're homeowners and they have a need for repairs that were tornado related, the case management folks help them then figure out what is your path forward as a survivor? What do you need to do in order to, to make yourself whole? And that looks different for every single one of these people. 
I mean, what, you know, it's, it's an individual life plan from here forward. So for some of them, it's repair and rebuild. And if that's the case, we send out our construction management team that takes a look at what is disaster caused damage and then what is the cost of repairing that damage and down to a materials list. Um, so we know then um, when it comes back to us, how much it's going to cost, what materials are going to be needed and whether it's, it's um, appropriate for volunteers to work on. Um, because sometimes we get houses with super steep roofs, yeah. remediation things where there's things like asbestos involved that we can't put volunteers on. So that gives us an idea of how we can then help them go forward with that. And a lot of that is sometimes helping people understand their options. When it comes to us and people don't, individuals don't have the resources they need to meet their recovery needs, and there's a gap there we can fill that gap with one of one or a combination of three things. So we call them the three M's. They're muscle, which is uh, volunteer labor, uh, materials, which are donated building materials, or money, and we use that to fill in any gap that we can't fill in with muscles and uh, materials. Mm -hmm. So uh, we do that as something called the resource table, and actually we've been doing that um, at least once a week for the last couple of weeks, and um, We've got three cases that we're going to take forward today um, in terms of trying to resource those. The little ones we just do, the okay. bigger ones where we need to kind of matrix money together. So, Laura, um, as we're getting closer and closer to the beginning of summer, is there not uh, some type of deadline for people if they need help that they need to request it? There is. Um, so we um, now that we've come upon the anniversary of the tornadoes. Um, we have a deadline set of August 1st for people to call in through our front door intake at 211 to ask for help. And the reason that we're doing that is one, we can't let this extend forever or right. nothing will get done. Um, but we really need to understand the universe of work that needs to be done so that we can plan uh, in terms of its execution and the, the partners that will require to work on it. And then also for asset allocation, you know, in terms of how we're going to spend our money and materials till we know the universe of the need out there, it's very hard to plan those two things. So we've set a deadline of August 1st. Um, we have teams working as of today again. Um, we have been working in the interim when things were pretty much shut down by leveraging contractors. Okay. So um, contractors were still working. Um, so construction was an essential in industry. And what we did was prioritize exterior work that was low contact so that we didn't have to put uh, survivors at risk. We didn't have to put workers at risk. So we did a lot of roofs, uh, some siding, some windows, those kinds of things that can be done from the outside. And uh, Brethren Disaster Ministries is one of the big teams that is working with us and has been working with us since um, disaster recovery or response phase. And uh, they're working today on uh, doing some siding and windows and such. That's exciting to see that, you know, you're able to really start moving forward again, despite a pandemic. And like you said, you guys are trying to be as safe as possible, which, you know, everybody wants that. And that's a good thing. And, you know, we're starting to heat up. We're starting to get back into the summer or closer to it. So it is nice to see. Um, I don't know if you would know this or not, but in terms of uh, a home that, you know, putting up a roof or, maybe needing new windows, things of that nature. Are these projects, because they're used with volunteers, is it something that is done in like a day or two or a week? 
you know, I know like a whole rebuild would be like building any other home. Um, You know, so I guess, have you had any successful projects maybe pre COVID or do you have a couple on the table that, you know, like, Oh, in a few days we're going to be able to turn the roof on this home. You know what I mean? Like what's the timeline for people who may be listening and, and just wondering like, how fast can these volunteers get stuff done? Well, I think, I mean, most of the volunteers that are working, um, you know, and that's one of the reasons that we had to kind of delay things as well, because a lot of our volunteers are in pretty vulnerable populations. A lot of them are seniors, retired, um, but skilled craftsmen. So um, you don't want to put 70-year-olds out doing work, you know, when they're extremely vulnerable to COVID. So, um, you know, it, it really depends on the scope of the work. But, you know, I can tell you that, like, the house that they're working on this week, and, and these are guys that will work full-time all week. So um, it, they're smaller teams. We're limiting the team size to about six. Um, so, you know, we could get stuff done faster with a team of 10 or 20. But, you know, for safety's sake, we're staying smaller. But, like, the, the house that they're working on this week, um, this gentleman, uh, single dad, um, had uh, roof damage, windows, siding, and uh, I think a porch uh, related to that. And so we did the roof right away. The roof was an urgent need. So we got a contractor out there, did the roof. Um, and then we now are going to do uh, the siding and the windows. So it may take a little bit longer, but uh, folks are generally just happy to know they haven't been forgotten. That was one of the things that we struggled with. A lot of the survivors, they were afraid that all of the other things that happened post-tornado, that they would lose visibility and nobody would see them anymore and the needs would go unmet. And um, we have tried to push the message that, you know, I, I mean, I'm, donated to this effort and and working this effort full-time as are the rest of my team, my volunteer coordinator, my my construction manager, my construction coordinator. So we are spending all of this time on this um, regardless. And so even though they didn't see a big push in terms of construction during the time of COVID, Mm -hmm. um, it's still happening and we're still, we're still working it. That's wonderful. Yeah, and I had the opportunity to walk through the warehouse, and I'll tell you, the supplies, they are top-notch. They look really good. We got a few samples of the siding options, and beautiful. I'd love to have that siding on my house. Laura, can you just talk a little bit quickly? I know for whatever reason, people have their own reasons of fear of contacting Can you just say to these people that might have some type of fear that, you know, don't worry, you know, we're, we're just there to help you. We're we're not here to do anything other than that. Right. So I think that, you know, some of, some of the reluctance for people to ask for help is, I mean, you know, this is an Appalachian based community and um, they're very self-sufficient. So I think that we're starting to see more people who thought they could do it on their own and now are realizing that maybe they need a little bit of help. We're not the government, um, so you know we're we're a bunch of uh, volunteers that basically are are dedicating our time and effort, um, as well as bringing resources to the table to help people recover. So you know, for instance, Matt Tepper, who you mentioned, great guy. Um, he has folks in his neighborhood that perhaps are afraid to ask for help because their housing stock is in such bad shape that they're afraid that, you know, they'll get in trouble with the city and then they won't have a place to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not the case. Um, we, we're, not the, we're not the police, <laughs> you know, of, of properties. Uh, so we really just want to go in and understand what's disaster caused damage and then to try to help them. Um, the other thing is, 
you know, some of these communities, because they're under-resourced, um, they have been subject to a lot of abuse in the past, you know, in terms of uh, predatory lending and unscrupulous contractors. So they're, they're a little distressful. So one of the things that helps us most is that when we get into a neighborhood and we are able to start working, people see that. Mm -hmm. They see that their neighbor has asked for help, that help is actually coming, and their neighbors will help us with those messaging. So that's why it's been really important for us to talk to survivors that we're helping and to get them to help share their stories. So, you know, there are a couple that we're using on a regular basis when we have media inquiries to help share those stories because it helps build trust and has, you know, helps people come forward. The other thing that's really critical is that this is a process for the survivors as well. And, you know, I was telling McCall when we talked that, you know, we've got a, a woman whose house we're doing a complete rebuild on over in Old North Dayton. And when she came to us originally, she wanted us just to demo the property because she wanted to walk away. Yeah. And uh, we were able, her case manager worked with her and then we came in and talked to her as well to understand uh, that she had other options. So for her to understand the options, to consider the options, and then to take action to actually execute and do those, she's getting a new house now. Cool. Um, so we're working with Habitat on that one. So we've got a couple of partners that are rebuild partners, Habitat, County Corp, um, Rebuilding Together, and Community Action Partnership. So we work with all of those to help make this stuff happen. That's really great to see that she could you know, keep her roots there. Yeah. That, like you said, she had the options and something that she probably, like you said, didn't know she did. And that's what your group can do. It can, it can really help people. And some may want to walk away. McCall, you've interviewed yeah. plenty of people that just, it was too painful to stay in the neighborhood. They wanted to leave. Mm -hmm. um, but others can, you know, if they want to still be there, breathe that fresh life into their property. And, and that's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, and I believe the woman that you're talking about, you know, you're not only helping her, but her parents that live next door are we getting are. help as well. So, you know, neighbor and family, you know, so it, it must make you feel really good to know that you're giving these people's lives back to them. It, it really does. It's, it's um, very fulfilling work. I think all of us that are engaged with this, um, that's what drives us to do this. On that particular street, we've got about six properties now. Um, in fact, uh, two of them are going to uh, the resource table this afternoon. Wow. That's wonderful, Laura. Yeah. Um, is there anything, I guess, we kind of talked about the deadline um, for people, the August 1st, correct, for yes. them to call and get, you know, get that assessment going. Mm -hmm. um, what about anybody who would donate? And maybe this is just my ignorance. Uh, can people still volunteer if they want to help your organization? Well, in terms of um, on-the-ground volunteers, not yet because, um, you know, we're working with smaller controlled groups, but there will be a, an opportunity for people to get their hands dirty and do some of this work, uh, hopefully later this summer, um, you know, assuming that it is safe uh, for them to do so. Um, ways that people can tr contribute now, though, um, you know, we have a the Greater Dayton Disaster Relief Fund at the Dayton Foundation. And that is where we're um, using money from that to help these survivors um, 
get get to where they need to be recovery wise and you know it's a nice vetted process i mean everybody's working with a case manager we we know things like we've validated that they own the house that they were living there at the time of the tornadoes so there's a lot of checks that as a donor you can feel confident that you are actually you know this isn't there's no way that this money is going to people that that don't need it that are just trying to take advantage of the system it's it's people that have are really earnestly working the recovery path. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, bulk supplies of building materials uh, are another thing. Sheets of drywall, sheets of lumber, dimensional lumber, um, window, standard size windows and doors, those kinds of things. Uh, those would be great for our warehouse. We have a lot of siding, a lot of roof shingles, um, some appliances, but we're missing some things that we have to go buy now. Um, and then we will have some other volunteer activities. We've got a MB Strong website, and there's a uh, Get Involved tab on that. And uh, right now, the only thing that we have out there is making masks for volunteer teams that start to come in. Uh, we're in the process of establishing a uh, site for volunteers to be housed at. We have a church uh, on Smithville Road that is no longer in service for uh, congregation mm -hmm. that we are repurposing to be a housing location for them. So. We'll have teams coming in we think june july wonderful so people can definitely get involved mm -hmm. yeah and i you know i want to thank you laura for not only taking time to help me out with my television story but giving us this extra time to really just talk about what your your group is doing um and if again i know we talked about it before what what is that number that people can use to reach out to you so they can ask for this help 211. So it's United Way's 211 help link. Um, you can go to the mbstrong.org website, and uh, there are two alternative phone numbers posted there too, in case you don't have 211 access. Um, some of the counties uh, way up north uh, don't have that, but uh, that's the front door. So that's the front door for asking for help. And even if you don't know whether you'll need it for sure, you know, if you think that there's any possibility, like you're still struggling with insurance companies or, um, you know, you're still st struggling with contractors, get in that front door so that we know that you're there and we can let you set. I mean, we've got some people now that are working with contractors that we're waiting for them to go through the litigation process. But should they end up with a gap between what contractors will handle or they, they end up having contractors that walk away, we'll help try to fill those gaps. That is wonderful, wonderful news, great advice. And I think for a lot of people who maybe aren't from the area or if you're from the area and you weren't in the direct path, you know, it's, you got to remember, we have a lot of families and communities that are still rebuilding. They need organizations and people like Laura uh, to keep fighting and working for them. So, you know, we can all do our part as well to help, whether it's a monetary donation, some of the building supplies, like you said, or eventually when they can get on the ground, if they want to help, um, they can do so. What's the website? One more time for people. It's MB Strong. So MB Strong, one word, and then dot org. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Laura, for joining us. And if anybody has any questions, uh, you can always reach out to Kirsty and I, and we can redirect you to where you need to go. Um, I really hope that you take Laura's advice if you do need help to call 211 or visit the website because I have seen firsthand the work that they're doing and I have seen the supplies that they're using. And it is something that you don't want to miss out on, especially if you are someone that is still struggling. It's been one year. I'm sure you're exhausted at this point right. and you just want to be moving forward with your life and getting your pieces back together. This might be that first step for you. 
Um, thank you so much for joining us on Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast. If you want to go back and listen to past episodes, we even have a Memorial Day outbreak uh, podcast that we had, which was just recorded a couple days after we were hit last year. That is also on there with a plethora of other topics that you can listen to. Um, you can download, subscribe, listen on your Apple Podcast app, Google Play, Stitcher, WHIO.com. If you want to watch the video version and you're just listening and you want to see the chaos of my daughter running around in the background, you can do so over, um, you can check it out on any streaming device that you might have. Just search for the WHIO app there. That includes Roku, Amazon Fire, and Apple TV. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.